Good stuff, Jackie. Good stuff. I love that song. That's good stuff. Would you bow with me, family? We want to pray seriously a minute, Lord, about your faithfulness. We're counting on it. I mean, we've, we've tried to seek you in every move in this thing. We certainly didn't want to build a new building without making sure that's what you wanted. You made that about as clear as can be made. We know some of the things in place that you want next. We're constantly seeking you, praying for you. I'm asking right now, Lord, on behalf of this family that you will show up in a mighty way this weekend as we pray and praise you Friday night and pray all weekend and fast. We're counting on you. The enemy's already at work, Lord. Starting little fires all over the place. We know those, those aren't going away. We're counting on you to put those out. We're counting on you for everything. Great is your faithfulness. It's all for you and because of you. It's going to be done in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Okay, so in my reading last week, I came across one of the neatest quotes. Now, I got it from John Ortberg, but he didn't remember where he got it. So I'm just telling you, I'm not the only guy stealing out there, but at least I remember who my resources are. But I love this quote. He says, he who has a why to live for can bear up under almost any how. Isn't that good? If you've got a why to live for, you can bear up almost under any how. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the why of South Union Christian Church, because trust me when I tell you, we're going to need a why moving forward to do what we got to do and to get through spiritually what we got to do. This is important stuff. Listen, we're in a culture right now that's absolutely obsessed with how. I mean, infomercials, uh, pop-up ads, bookstores, uh, you can find out how to do anything these days, how to raise money, how to lose weight, how to get a house, how to flip a house, how to raise your kids, how to flip a kid. I mean, you can look on Google, and they'll tell you how to do things. But I've noticed we don't see very many books or advertisements on why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why, why am I killing myself all week long? Why, why am I working so hard? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And I want to ask you this question this morning. What is the why in your life right now that is big enough to get you through anyhow, anything that's coming on? Now, as a church, you know, I was thinking about that this week. We have a lot at South Union Christian Church, and trust me when I tell you, we're working hard on the how, but the why is very important. Already seeing fires, I said that in my prayer. Satan don't want this thing to happen. Trust me, we're going to need a why that's big enough. And we're going to talk about the only why that matters today. But I want to start, number one, with our what. What's the what at South Union Christian Church? Well, our what comes from Matthew 28, 16 to 20. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it to you. And as I do, I've replaced one word. See if you can find it. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Unbelievable. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Remember that, right? Did you catch the word I changed? Anybody in there? Yeah, it's the word Christian. I put that in there. Jesus did not say, Go out and make more Christians. He said, I want you to go out and make more disciples. 
Big difference. And this is important today because a lot of people think that's the mission of the church today, to go make more Christians. It is not. I grew up thinking that, that we just had to go out and get people. There's so many other religions out there that are wrong, we need to get them in, you know what I mean? There's so many people out there who don't know Jesus, so many cults out there. Let's see how many people we can make Christians. That's not the mission of the church. Now, I think the first thing to do is ask, what, it, what is a Christian? And get a definition of that. I mean, if you were to go down to, I don't know, Kirkwood this, today and talk to an unchurched person and ask them, what is a Christian? What do you think they'd say? I think it would surprise you. There's a lot of research being done by that right now. A guy by the name of, of Dave Kenneman and uh, Gabe Lyons, and they found some pretty neat stuff. But one of the things I found this week was a quote from Andy Stanley. Somebody asked him, what do people think of when they hear the word Christians? He said they think of moralistic, homophobic, anti-science, judgmental bigots who don't believe in dinosaurs but do believe they're the only ones going to heaven and secretly relish the idea that everybody else is going to hell. Ouch. I hope that's not the case. But one way or another, the word Christian is kind of a complicated word these days in our culture. And based on our constant reputation being sliding downwards, there's a lot of people out there that will tell you straight up, I'm not one of those. Now, if you grew up in a church like I did, then you probably grew up believing that there'll be some people who get to go to heaven when they die based on what they believed. And depending on what church you're in, sometimes that belief gets kind of narrow. You know what I mean? I, uh, I grew up in Plainfield Christian Church, and we believed that there would be people that got to go to heaven that didn't go to Christian churches because God's lenient, you know, because we had it figured out. Uh, I've talked to, uh, there are three Church of Christ in, in Martinsville, and I've talked to the leadership in each one of those churches, and it's safe to tell you that all three of those churches think the other two are going to hell. I mean, where, where, how do we get here? Now, a lot of people can't wait to get, die and go to heaven because when they get there, they know they're going to get to go to heaven. There will be some Lutherans there represented by uh, Martin Luther, and there will be some Wesleyans there represented by John Wesley, and there will be some Catholics there represented by the Pope, and, and there will be several uh, Christian church people represented by Jesus Christ himself. You know, that's how, we, that's how we think. But here's the deal. One way or another, this ends up being kind of a weird thing when it comes to defining what a Christian is. I'll tell you a better question. How does the Bible define Christian? That's very interesting. Do you know the word Christian only appears in the Bible three times? That's in the NIV and in the King James Version. And it's only used by the outside group to describe some made-up word to describe the people inside the church. The people inside the church just called them pagans. My point to you is the Bible does not define Christianity. And the Bible doesn't call anybody to be Christians. The word Christian is only three times in the Bible, but I'll tell you one word that's in there 269 times is the word disciple, which can also be translated apprentice. So, in other words, the Bible is a book by disciples, about disciples, for disciples. Aha! <laughs> that's the why, or the what of South Union Christian Church. That's our what, to make disciples who make disciples. Jesus did not call 12 Christians to follow him. He called 12 disciples. He didn't come to start a new religion. He didn't come to reform all the other religions. He came to love people in a way that no religion possibly could. And then he sent his followers out to do more of that. He did not send them out to create more Christians. He sent them out to make more disciples. And that's our what at South Union Christian Church, to make disciples who make disciples, which leads us to number two, our how. How are we going to do that? Well, trust me when I tell you that our staff and our leadership...
Wendy caught me on the way out. She didn't know it was going to change our culture. We are so excited about this. We bought the books. We bought the, I, I guess them and the Allens have been using this teaching, the three-circle method, for a long time. So we're working in that direction. But I want to tell you something. Before we do any of that, we got to do something really major first. You know what that is? We got to make sure we're disciples of Jesus Christ every day. I want to tell you what, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is the most exciting opportunity any human being will ever get in their lifetime. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, there's no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus Christ cannot solve. Isn't that good? There's no problem in your life that being an apprentice or a disciple of Jesus Christ cannot solve. And that's what makes this the greatest opportunity for us and to share to everybody around us. And I mean, this is the truth. You go ahead and think of anything you want to. Make a list. I'm, I'm, listen to my list. I wrote this down this week. Greed, sexual assault, fear, violence, injustice, divorce, racism, neglect, bitterness, death, pollution, rejection, suffering, apathy, politics, addiction, grief, war, hunger, hatred. I mean, I could go on and on, of course, but my point is you name it, and I'll tell you this much, Jesus can fix it if you follow him. This is huge. There's nothing that human nature can fix. In fact, that's our biggest problem is human nature. Education can't fix it. Technology is not going to fix it. Another religion is not going to fix it. Our wealth isn't going to fix it. But I'll tell you this. There is no problem in your life that cannot be dealt with and fixed and solved by just following Jesus Christ. And that, by the way, includes forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And trust me when I tell you we're working as hard as we can to figure out how to take this to the community, to make disciples who make disciples. But we got to make sure we're disciples first because there's no problem in your life that cannot be solved if you're an apprentice to Jesus Christ. So that's our what and our how, which leads to the big one, and that's the why. And again, trust me, church, I'm just telling you, we're going to have to have a huge why. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting nets in the lake, for they were fishermen. That makes sense. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nests and followed him. Now, I love the first part of this. You notice it says, as Jesus was walking along. In other words, he's out for a stroll. He's not looking necessarily for Andrew and Peter. And the implication is he can use anybody he bumps into. He can use you, he can use you, he can use you, he can use me. And when he spoke these words to these guys, it rocked their world, and it changed our life. What he's telling you is, you follow me, and I'm going to give you a reason to live that's way beyond just making a living. You follow me, and I'll give you a reason for life that's way beyond being successful. You follow me, South Union, and I'll give you a reason for, uh, for life and building a church that's way beyond just building a bigger church with more people in it. You follow me, and I'll give you a why that will get you through anything. In fact, Jesus says it's the only why that makes any difference. And then he told us what the why was in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than that, and there is no why bigger than that. And that is the why at South Union Christian Church. To love people, to love God, and, and to bring them to him. To give them the opportunity to follow him. That's why we're building a bigger building. 
so we can make disciples who make disciples and have some place to put them so they can make disciples who make disciples. Love God, love people. That's our why. Dan Spader writes, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment must be held together in one thought. Because we love God, we love people. Because we love people, we make disciples. You try to make disciples without love, you gain nothing. And if you say you love people, but you never try to make disciples, then your love is a lie. Because we love God, we love people. And as we love people the way God loves us, we will be engaged in making disciples. The two go together simply. There's no complication. I love that. That's our why. Love God, love people, and go fishing for people. I love what Ortberg says. Jesus offers this invitation. Follow me, and you will know God. You'll be undone by grace. You'll be healed by mercy. You'll be captured by the vision of eternity. You'll have a hope stronger than death. You'll feed the hungry, love the lonely, serve the forgotten. With God's power, you will change history one life at a time. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will send you out to fish for people. I mean, wow, that is fishing for people. That's fishing like fishing for dynamite. You know what I'm talking about? This is how crawdad fishes. I should have cut it off earlier, but I, want, yeah, I knew you'd want to see how that ended up. Listen, when you have explosive news like that, you bring things to the surface immediately. And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ had this dynamic piece of news about the gospel. It, it just exploded. The, every, it got him in trouble, just like it did him. He said, it is possible right now to live in the presence and the power and the authority of God. You can start your eternity trip right now, he says. It's powerful. It's the gospel. Paul would later say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto the salvation of everyone. And the word for power that you use there, of course, is a Greek word, dunamis, which means dynamite. Jesus hurled this piece of dynamite and changed everything. Come follow me, he said. Man, and they did. They dropped their nets, the Bible says, right there in the place. Now, we all have nets. 
their nets, think about it, represented their security, their identity, what they were familiar with, and they said, we're dropping it all right here, man. We're going to leave it at the feet of Jesus and follow him and do the only thing that gives us a, a reason of why. I want to ask you, what's your net? What's giving you your security right now? Is it your money? Because that's the big deal right now, I know. Where do you get your identity? Your work, your career, your kids? What are you familiar with right now that you're afraid to leave for the sake of Jesus Christ? They dropped their nets and left everything. They followed Jesus. They would become Jesus-obeying, Jesus-loving, Jesus-following, Jesus-centered, Jesus-filled people until the day they died. In fact, a lot of them gave up their life for him. You know what happened here, don't you? These men found a why that was big enough to get him through anyhow. Verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, question, does that sound real familiar? That's kind of repetitive. Nothing is more irritating than unnecessary repetition. Nothing is more irritating than unnecessary repetition. <laughs> why, why do you think... Matthew just went right into this thing again. i tell you what I think. There was no italics back then, no bold-faced type, no printers. There wasn't any lower and upper case. When you see something like this repeated in the Bible, it's the Bible's way of underlining it. Matthew's saying, this is critical. This is crucial. This is the only thing in life that matters. And Jesus made this so simple that even uncouth, untrained fishermen could follow him and get this. He said, you have been fishing for fish and cleaning nets. I'm going to allow you to fish for men and clean their souls. This is huge. This gives you a reason for living this beyond anything. He didn't say, follow me and I'll save you. He didn't say, follow me and everything will be okay. He said, follow me and I will use you to make fishers of men. That was the deal and it's still the deal now. It's still our why. I'm wondering, are you going to join us or not? Our church is 186 years old. I don't know if you knew that or not. I know it doesn't look a day over 150. But what makes a church look old? What, what makes you old, by the way? We, I did a funeral for a, a family uh, friend in Plainfield about, I don't know, two months ago. And these people have been our friends my whole life, so 61 years plus. But we hadn't seen them for 20 years. And it's so funny how people always react when they haven't seen each other for a long time. They all saw, we all saw the same thing to each other. Oh, you look so good. Look at Angie, you look so good. Pat, I can't, is that Claudia? You look so good. Jimmy, you look terrific. I can't believe how well you're doing. Have you had work done? And you know, I'm sitting around thinking, you know, we're just a bunch of liars because I'm looking. We don't look good at all. You know what I mean? We look old. That's what I'm telling you, man. And the truth is, uh, we're still, we're in, a, we're in a world right now full of pop-up ads and commercials on how to look young even though you're getting old because it's important these days. Because we need a why that's going to get us through even when old is beating us up. Paul's got it. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, as God's grace reaches more and more people, in other words, as we continue to fish for people, they will offer to the glory of God more prayers of thanksgiving. And for this reason, he says, we never become discouraged, even though outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. So when does somebody really become old? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's not gray hair. In fact, the Bible says gray hair is a crown of splendor. It's a mark of righteousness. So, Dennis, 
See, somebody with gray hair, man, there's a righteous guy right there. You know what I'm talking about? That's not the point Paul's making here. The truth is, somebody's not old. They get old when their spirit gets old. And you know what that happens? That happens when you and I lose our why. That's when we get old. Paul says, I'm going to tell you something. I might be getting old on the outside, but on the inside, I'm fresh as a daisy. On the inside, I've got a new vitality and a new energy that I never thought I'd have. Because I found out how important the why is in my life to fish for people. On the inside, I am brand new. You ask me if I've had work done, you better believe I have. The Holy Spirit's working on me. And he's causing me to become a fisher of men. How how can you tell when a church gets old? Not by how many years it's been here. You can tell a church gets old when it gets preoccupied with itself, when it gets self-absorbed, when it gets self-enclosed, when it's all about new buildings and only new buildings, when it loses its personality that Hope is always talking about, making sure that doesn't happen to us. You can tell a church gets old when a church loses its why. And we have decided we will not lose our why at South Union Christian Church. We're going to love God and love people, and we're going to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We're going to declare with the psalmist in Psalm 78, verse 4, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Man, I love what Eric Gilpin has done in this whole process. We've had so many people work, but he came up with the wonder idea. And did you love that paragraph he wrote in the initiative campaign where he talked about that? He said, uh, we are recipients of past generations, and, and we long to continue to pass along their faithfulness to that sa- in that same history. We're building not just for today's generation, but for future generations so that they too may be able to experience the wonder of God, so they too can experience the only why that's big enough to get them through any how and any what, and that's becoming fishers of men. That's who we are. That's where we're going. I hope you're going with us. Now, this is where it gets personal because a lot of us in here feel like the disciples did in the very beginning. I'm, I can't do this. I mean, Cain, you've been to Bible college. You've been preaching a long time. I, I don't do that. I'm inadequate. I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. Uh, I don't know very much. I'm not really all that good of a person yet. Can I tell you that's a lie from hell? Can I tell you when you're qualified to make disciples? As soon as you become a disciple. You're qualified to make disciples who make disciples. I'm going to finish up with a fishing story so I can remind everybody in here Uh, where we get this power to fish, where it actually comes from. This is a fishing story about a guy by the name of Dan Allender who was doing a a Bible conference. He was actually speaking in Montana, and he took his 10-year-old son, his wife, with him. And some of you know that Montana is one of the fly fishing capitals of the United States. So this guy decided he was going to try a little fishing. He didn't fish much. I need maybe a little more light. Uh, He writes, I'm getting old. Outwardly, inwardly, I'm fresh. You know what I mean? Okay, so this is what he writes. The first day I didn't have to speak, so at dusk I went into the water with a float tube and all my gear. The mountains and the water and the sunset were beautiful, but I couldn't help noticing all the birds flying around me. Now, I'm not really an outdoorsy person, and I don't know much about ornithology, but the birds surprised me. I thought they should be in bed by now, but they were fully awake and flying right at me. Suddenly I realized they weren't birds. They were bats. 
I'm terrified of bats, he said. So I started using my fly rod to create kind of a no-fly zone. I didn't know how to say this, but one bat got too close and I hit it, he said, and knocked it in the water and it kept coming. I kept beating on it until I killed the thing. I couldn't believe it. By this time, he said, I just wanted to get home. I wanted to get out of the water. As it happened, at this moment, a fish that had been created from the foundation of the world decided to take my fly. Now, you might think this was exciting, but at this point, I wanted to get out of the water. And I pulled up this big, ugly, teeth-bearing, satanic-looking gray fish. I didn't want to touch this fish. I didn't want to be around this fish. I was having a meltdown. I wanted out of the water so badly, I started swinging the fish. I swung it so hard, God forgive me, I ripped its lips off and threw the fish up on the bank. And he said, as I looked, there was a man sitting on the dock in a lawn chair who was about to fall into water laughing. (laughs) He said, sir, I've been at your conference. I heard you speak. But he said, I got to thank you. I've been fishing 50 years, and I've never seen the likes. I'll never forget this. Now, Dave goes on to tell and finish the story. He said that uh, he took his son out for the next three days. He said, I'm begging God every day, just one fish, because they didn't know how to fish. No fish. He said, really, God, you can't give him one fish. He said the third day, he bumped in this guy in the dock again. The guy said, I notice you fish every day between 1 and 3.30. He said, yes, sir. Haven't caught any fish, have you? He said, no, sir. Did you not know that fish don't bite between 1 and 3.30 out here? No, sir. Would you like to catch some fish? Yes, sir. Then take these lures and get up in the morning early. So he said, I got up the next morning. I took my 10-year-old boy, Dave, out in the boat, and we started fishing. We fished for two hours. Nothing. He said, I was so disgusted. I turned the boat around. I started in. And my son said, Daddy, can I make one more cast? And he said, nope, we're going in. And he said, then I just heard in my spirit, okay, so your hope is dead. You're going to kill his hope too? So he said, okay, son, you can't make one more cast. You can make five more. He said, okay, five more. And he said, first cast, nothing. Second, nothing. Third, fourth, nothing. And he said, I'm thinking, really, God, really? And he said, of course, the fifth cast, the magic happened. He hooked a big northern pike. Took him 15 minutes to get the thing in. They were so excited and so pleased. And he said, all the way back to the truck, his 10-year-old was talking about God like he'd never heard him talk. about. He said, Dad, God's good, isn't he? He said, he sure is, son. Boy, Dad was good. God was good to us when he sure was, son. Daddy, I know God's name. What is his name, son? He's the God of the fifth cast. Isn't that good? Family, Jesus is still looking for followers who don't really know how to fish, but are willing to keep casting, who know they're not adequate, who know they're not going to figure it out, don't even know what they're going to do with the building yet, aren't smart enough, don't have enough money yet, but they're not going to quit. Because they've got a why that takes care of all of it. They're going to love God and love people. They're going to fish. And that's South Union Christian Church. We're going to love Jesus Christ in this place like nobody's business. And we're going to take his message to this community like we never have before. And we're going to love each other and encourage each other and build that building no matter what. Because that's what he told us to do. And I'm asking, are you going to join us? We're going to make fishers of men out of each one of us. Why? Because of this because we can have life after death because of what he did for us. And with news that good, I don't know how in the world we can sit on it. We've got to share it. We can start this morning by thanking him.